The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. And welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into the things that we've been uh, watching recently. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. This week we're talking about a fucking bleak double feature, <laughs> Gins and Brujas, and of course, Hammer Horror. Hammer Horror. Um, before we get started, we just want to give a shout out to <gasps> friend of the show JD on the birth of his daughter, Blair oh. Rose. She's so cute. Beautiful. Congratulations, <laughs> yeah, you congratulations. two. Congratulations. That's so exciting. So That's amazing. Yeah. Baby. <laughs> Another horror movie uh, aficionado in the making. <laughs> I know. I was like, baby. Okay, let's talk about horror movies. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, if this podcast for some reason is going in another, like, you know, 20 years, maybe. <laughs> oh, that, oh, my heart. Congratulations, JD. That's yeah. awesome. And now to honor her with talking about horror movies. Hell yeah. So <laughs> not to go from like the happiest announcement to like the fucking bleakest one. What were your double features, Mary Beth? Okay. So okay, this is coming out on Friday. So on Tuesday, I put out a tweet saying, I'm trying to get scared tonight. What should I watch? I had already watched Pulse by Kiyoshi Kurosawa, who did Cure. And Pulse is from 2001. It is on... Um, oh, I rented it. Or no, it's, it's for free on Tubi. You can watch it on Tubi. But the premise of Pulse is that... I'll read this synopsis. A number of young adults living in Tokyo witness terrifying visions transferred through the internet. As more people disappear throughout the city, the internet becomes a breeding ground for malevolent spirits. I mean, that sounds like a typical day on the internet right now, right? <laughs> so it's like, it's these two intersecting storylines about groups of young adults who are basically watching videos of ghosts and the ghosts are being spread like contagion, like a virus through mm. this because 
this yeah i want to it's it's very it's one of those things that like it's not completely explained so a lot of it is like you kind of trying to fill in the blanks but the imagery is horrifying like the ghost movement there's a scene where a ghost is just walking down the hallway like with it's moving its arms really creepily and it looks like it's dancing and it is it goes for like a whole minute and it is Mm. so uncomfortable but it is beautifully shot it's really scary. It's a really amazing ghost story. It's one of those like Japanese ghost stories you think about, like with the ring and the grudge. And I know a lot of these movies dealt with like the technological advances, but this is one of like the first movies to really tackle horror through the internet. And that came out what, 2001? 2001 is when it came yeah. out. And it came to the US in 2005, but it, it released in Japan in 2001. So it was really like kind of on that very beginning of looking at virality and digital fear and i wasn't sure it was gonna hold up but jesus christ it's pretty fucking scary and the way that it predicts a lot of things in the future and the isolation that we with the internet but also Mm. the idea of like creepypastas and scary stories online it's it's absolutely phenomenal um and it scared the shit out of me so of course i was like well i would like to be continued i would like to continue to be scared i haven't really been scared in a long time we talk about this in the podcast all the time. It's a card to get for us to get scared. Yeah. And a lot of people tweeted some really good suggestions that I had unfortunately already seen. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> fuck, <laughs> have I seen everything? So I decided to go another route and watch the 2008 British horror movie, Eden Lake, which ruined <laughs> my life. <laughs> so it's basically... A young couple goes on a romantic weekend uh, and they go camping on this beach in the middle of nowhere and like like in the middle of nowhere, England, and they are attacked by a group of teenagers. It is the meanest movie. Really? It's mean. It is so mean. And it's also very sad because it has a it does a lot of it has a lot to do also with like social class and lower socioeconomic classes in England and what's going on in that during that this just time period and how kids are being ignored by their parents and how there's just like this this generational clash going on that's making things just bad in general and then this you know posh couple gets caught in the crossfires and like it's terrible and it's cruel and it's just it's also so sad not just because of the cruelty in the movie but because of what you can kind of see the undercurrent of suffering is for these mm. For everybody, not just the people that are getting um, viciously attacked by a group of, like, 14-year-olds. Wow. Yeah. Um, and these 14-year-olds don't fuck around. Like, it's, <laughs> it's like, barbed wire and lighting things on fire and, like... Jesus. It's... <sighs> Was it good? I, I mean, really, that might be I a... really liked it. I never want to okay. watch it again. I will never... Gotcha. Well, we'll see. But, like, it's really good. I think it is really well done. I wish it didn't end the way it did, but that's part of why it's good. But like, it is just, it's nauseating and it's just so bleak. Hmm. And it, I finished it at like one in the morning and then I had to go to bed. <laughs> so then I watched Real Housewives of New York to um, give myself a palate cleanser before I went to sleep because I needed those images out of my head. It's the same director that would go on to do The Woman in Black. Yeah. So you know how The Woman in Black is like kind of bleak? <laughs> <laughs> 
this one's even bleaker and it's gory as fuck. And Michael Fassbender is mm. the boyfriend and he has his Irish brogue in mm. it. And then Kelly Riley, who has been in like Pride and Prejudice and a bunch of other her. British stuff. She's so good. She's in it as the girlfriend. And she's really good as Jenny. I don't think I've ever seen her in any horror movies. She was in Eight for Silver. Oh, that's right. She wasn't here for silver. Oh, my God. Duh. So she's amazing. Like, she brings that energy, but even more so. Like, she carries this movie because the movie is really focused on her. So she really brings some amazing energy and, like, final girl vibes and Mm. really badass final girl vibes. So I would recommend it if you have a strong stomach and, like, if you kind of can deal with those kinds of movies. But it's not for the faint of heart. Mostly in terms of just like torture porny stuff. Mm, okay. So. Hmm. Interesting. You yeah. know, it's one of those movies that like I, I can never, because you asked me uh, when you were going to watch it if, if I had seen it. And I had to actually go look it up because it has such a generic title, I guess. I've seen a lot of movies that have like something like. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, have I, have I seen it before? But I had not. And. Yeah, it it sounds really fucking bleak. And I was between Willow Creek and Eden Lake. So obviously (laughs) there was a theme last night (laughs) of like weird locations. But friend of the show and my co-host on Watch Once Never Again, Daxi Baban, had seen it. I texted him afterward and he was like, oh, yeah. Oh, I've seen that one. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) fuck, why did I do this? I've been wanting to see it forever. And I finally took the plunge. And um, yeah, it's worse than I expected. <laughs> there you but go. Anyway, but you know what? I enjoyed it. I had a good time yesterday, despite feeling like shit afterward. Not really, but like two very good movies. Pulse is one hundred percent. Anyone should watch that one. That one's yeah. scary, but it's ghost, so it's not as bleak. It's bleak, but like it's a little bit more palatable, I guess, than Eden Lake. So gotcha. anyway, what about you? Tell me about these gins and brujas. <laughs> so I am uh Panic Fest is going on. Panic Fest 2021 is cool. happening as as we're recording this. And just outside my window, I don't know if my mic is picking up any of this, there is a thunderstorm happening. Ooh, so it kind of adds to the uh the, the creepy ambiance. But yeah, so I I've seen four movies so far. Two of okay. them are okay. But the two that I really want to talk about tonight, the first one is written and directed by a, a duo, David uh, Charbonnier, I, I think is how you pronounce his last name, and Justin Powell. Last year, they had uh, a movie debut at Fantastic Fest called The Boy Behind the Door, <gasps> which I absolutely loved. Wait, hold on. Bef- before I'm so sorry. The Boy Behind the Door, is that they just got announced that getting distribution, right? Yes, I think it is. I think it's coming out. It's hitting somewhere, I think, in July, finally, hopefully. I think, okay. Yeah, that one sounds fucked up, but really good. I remember you talking about that. Okay. Yeah. So this is their, ironically, this is their second feature, but it's actually coming out first. Uh, it got nabbed by IFC, Mid- IFC Midnight. It's coming out in May, but it's also debuting at uh, Panic Fest. And it's called The Djinn. <gasps> oh, I want to watch this so bad. And it's good. Okay. I personally do not think it's as good as their debut film, The Boy Behind the Door. Um, okay. It's because it kind of tackles a similar, well, not a similar issue, but in terms of like scares and intensity and stuff, it sort of feels like a companion piece to that one where it's about a, it's set in 1989. It's about mm-hmm. this this boy who is living with, with his single father right now. He mm-hmm. can't, he doesn't, he, um, he lost his voice. Um, I'm not really okay. sure how, but he has like a Y scar on his chest. 
he's living with his father. They just moved into this two bedroom apartment mm-hmm. and the person that owned the apartment before him uh, died in it. And while the kid is, you know, setting up his stuff, he finds an old box in the closet. And one of the things in there is this book that has like a bunch of incantations in there. And one is something about has to do with making a, having your wishes come true. Mm-hmm. And so he Ends up when his father's going out for, um, I think he works nights, so he's out for the entire night. He decides to do a spell to make his wish for his voice to come back. And he ends up summoning a djinn that for an hour, as long as the kid can stay alive, his wish is going to get granted. But if he can't stay alive, the djinn is going to basically kill him. Oh, you know, a simple, it's just as simple as that. <laughs> so ah. it's a boy versus a shape-shifting Jin stuck in a two-bedroom apartment for the entire movie. The last hour of it, it do, it's not completely in like real time, but it feels close enough to being like real time. Like by the time oh. we hit an hour left in the movie, he it's when he summons the Jin and he has like an hour to survive. And it's literally this kid trying to outsmart this Jin in a two-bedroom apartment. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And it's intense. There's some really good scares. I, I love the score, but the score, unfortunately, telegraphs the scares a little too much. Oh. So it's one of those that has like a really loud piercing, like when something scary happens. And mm-hmm. some of the scares are a little predictable. I personally think The Boy Behind the Door is a better movie than this one. Okay. But this is a really good uh, solid double, uh, second feature for them, I think. And they worked with, I'm looking at IMDb, they worked with Ezra Dewey in both of them, the, the younger boy, right? He's yes. in both of their films. He is okay. in both the movies, and he is phenomenal. He's particularly phenomenal in this. And what I do like about both of these films is that they're not afraid to put the kid in, like, mortal peril. Hell yeah. And <laughs> Which sounds so Ezra- creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just, I it makes me sad, well, not sad, but, like, disappoints me, I guess, when the kids are always sacrosanct and in here, like, no, he gets, he gets the shit thrown at him and he is really good in this. Uh, I think he's even better in this than he was in, in uh, the boy behind the door. It has the same cinematographer. Like there's definite tones between the two of them. They just, I mean, the one is about two kids outsmarting child kidnappers in a big house. This one is a kid outsmarting a gin in a two bedroom apartment. So, Okay. Kind of the same. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I personally would prefer The Way Behind the Door, and I'm really glad it's finally getting distribution, but this is a really good movie. Sweet. I've, I've been getting some emails about it, so I'm excited to watch. I'm excited to see it. And it's an hour and 22 minutes long. Which oh, is it's so short. It's really good. It's, it's the perfect length, especially for a, basically a one-on-one movie. It's, Ugh, it's, I love it. It works really well. Okay. So we've got Jens. What about Brujas? Brujas. So... The other thing that we've kind of it's it's really interesting that we've been we've talked about a lot on this podcast is how we really like when we see possession slash exorcism stories from different cultures. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've talked with about the vigil, we've talked about the whaling. Well, this mm-hmm. one is set in Veracruz, and it is about a bruja trying to uh, exorcise this demon from a Mexican American American Mexican American uh, journalist who has come back to her hometown to do a uh, investigative report on mm-hmm. local tribes and she runs afoul of something in a dark cave and now mm. she is trapped in a one location makeshift cell while this old woman is trying to convince her that she is possessed by this demon and exerciser what's the movie called again this one is called The Old Ways. Sorry, I didn't say that. Oh, old way. The Old Ways. Okay. The Old Ways. Yes. And okay. it is about 
this bruja who is practicing the old ways. And oh. so it, it kind of it, it's set in again a very small location, but I'll tell you what, this movie looks sharp as fuck. It looks expensive. I don't think it was. I think it was a low budget, but it looks it looks like Hollywood quality. It's mostly a um a non-white cast. The only white person that I know is in this movie is actually AJ Bowen in a very brief row role. Oh. <laughs> I I love that it's kind of taking this uh different approach to it, even though some of the scares feel kind of similar to what you would expect in a possession or an exorcism film. It has like a different perspective. And I appreciated that a whole lot. And it looks really good. There's some really good scares in it. And it was a lot of fun. The poster looks badass. It's a badass poster. It's a badass poster. Okay, that's amazing. Oh, I'm so glad that we're getting like all of these, like more attention to these interpretations of like the Catholicism. We're like the common white priest like catholic story because they're out there but i feel like now they're getting so much more attention which makes me so happy yeah and what i like about what, what i like about the difference here is that instead of you know evoking some god or christ or whatever to like be rid of the demons it's a woman that is using her her powers herself to combat this this demon fuck yeah that's kind of cool and um it definitely has some some things that we're, we're familiar with, like there's this idea that maybe uh, the poor woman that has been kidnapped is she suffer- she's an addict, she's addicted to heroin, she might mm-hmm. be going through withdrawals, and the things that we're seeing might be sort of like hallucination. Like you don't quite know. I mean, we we know, you know, this is where it's going to go, but like it definitely um, plays with that kind of thing, and it's it was really well done. I thought I really liked it, but that was the old ways. So keep that on your uh, your calendar. Okay, cool. And it sounds like a lot of these movies are getting distribution or these directors are getting more attention, which I yeah. I feel like these virtual fil- – I'm sorry. This is just a very quick thing. These virtual film festivals, I know they're a pain in the ass, but it, it just feels to me like more of these projects are getting in front of more people. So they're getting more support and therefore getting distribution faster. I don't know if I'm making that up in my head, but it feels like that a little bit. No, it definitely does feel like that. I think that we've seen um, – and I you know, I also think let's, – let's be honest. I do think uh, COVID and you know other movies not being – made is also been helping out with this because you know it's like people are are wanting content and we're wanting movies to watch and so if a movie does really well at a festival I, it feels like it's getting snap snatched up a lot quicker. yeah and this, the movies that were left like not left behind but like that happened at festivals that hadn't gotten distribution yet i feel like are finally getting distribution one because people want content but also i feel like because people are realizing oh there's a hunger for these new genre mm-hmm. filmmakers and there were so many good movies last year that really like made a big splash in the horror community so yeah you know covid sucks shit but at least you know there might be some cool things coming out of it maybe it'll help change up little things a little bit for horror filmmakers who knows i hope so yeah if you are if you have a subscription to or a subscription if you have a a, a ticket to uh, Panic Fest. These are two that I would recommend you make sure that you watch before the fest is over. And I'll come back with some more um, epis- more movies probably next our, our next little cuts episode. I think. And is Panic Fest this weekend? It starts. Uh, well, it started, but it starts Thursday. So by the time this episode airs, okay, it will have been. It will have started. Okay. And then it's going. I think it's a two week festival. It's like a week oh. and a half or two weeks. So it's like a a relatively hmm. long festival. Cool. So you got time. Sweet. 
But let's take it back, Mary Beth, <laughs> back to 1965, where we are in Hammer's last black and white filmed movie. What are we talking about? We are getting swaddled up in a beautiful killer blanket with <laughs> the nanny. I tried. I tried so hard and it didn't work. Um, the nanny starring Bette Davis as a mysterious live-in nanny for a British family and their weird 10-year-old son who has just come back from a psych ward after the death of his sister. He's 10. He's young. He's he's a, he's a small child. He's also a complete and utter dick, and I hate oh, him. Oh my god, this movie with him was unbearable. Dad's a dick, too. God. Like, everyone in this movie is actually kind of dicks. <sighs> yeah. Like, I just, I didn't like any of the characters except for Nanny. So this is the hard thing with this movie. I think it's, I think the ending with Nanny is very interesting. Mm. I wish that wasn't in the last 10 minutes. Um, I feel like a lot of things are, it's like an exposition dump kind of in the last 10 minutes. And the rest of it is a very slow, repetitive thing of this asshole 10 year old saying he hates Nanny and that he won't do anything. And it's them fighting his mom having a nervous breakdown, his dad being an asshole, and his aunt like having a heart condition. So, like, everyone is just at their worst. Like, no one is happy. This is the most miserable family. Yeah. But despite, I don't know, well, how did you feel about it before I get into it? <laughs> Well, I first of all, I wanted the nanny to slap the shit out of uh, <laughs> Joey, the kid. Like, I, I literally, I think I wrote, I actually took this note down. If I were nanny, I'd slap that little shit so hard because he is absolutely obnoxious the entire time he's in this movie. He just is confrontational. He is like anything that someone's going to say, he's going to do the exact opposite. He's going to be snotty. He's he's just, he is the most annoying. He is the reason I would never want to have kids because of that little <laughs> punk. I could not stand him. And like, obviously, with the name the nanny like you're you're obviously kind of like primed to think, oh, okay, something is up with the nanny. But like, this kid is a this kid sucks and like he keeps sneaking next door to like the teenager who smokes cigarettes in her room and he's just like a little shit. Like I know that he was in a like a psych, a psych ward for two years and like obviously has been through some trauma, but Jesus. Yeah. And you know, unfortunately for me, the movie was ruined because I was just doing like a cursory uh, Wikipedia search and sometimes Wikipedia, the plot synopsis don't tell the story in order. And so oh, the second line oh. is basically spoiling the exposition dump that happens at the end. So it's like, that was ruined. Ooh, wow. So if you're going <laughs> to... Wow. Yeah, if you're going to watch this movie, I mean, I don't know if we should... I don't think we should probably spoil it because it is no. kind of... Yeah. Uh, I, would, I would definitely stay away from Wikipedia um, because the second sentence is going to basically lay out the entire story of the movie. <laughs> I I mean I don't know I it was okay I thought the reveal was actually quite heartbreaking it was really sad I think I was it's really really sad as I guess all I can say it's just like holy shit and there's a lot going on there that I think could have been expanded upon in a more interesting way in terms of like politics like body politics mm -hmm. and political issues but mm -hmm. yeah Bet Davis rules. <laughs> oh, you know, I thought she was absolutely phenomenal in this. And what's what's interesting is that she, 
I mean, I guess she was known for being kind of a dick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the director found her impossible to work with. They apparently butted heads a whole lot. And I guess he thought that she was overacting a whole lot. And I thought she was actually quite restrained in this in this film. Yeah, overacting is not a word I would describe. Her, I, her performance was amazing. I thought it was actually pretty restrained in a really creepy way. I, I overacting, I don't think is a good word for it. But yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to see. Her eyebrows are iconic. Oh, yeah. So yeah, so there's a quote from his 1990 book Fasten Your Seatbelts, where Lawrence J. Quirk quotes from his interview with Seth Holt, the director. Oh, it was hell. She was always telling me how to direct. When I did it her way, she was scornful. When I stood up to her, she was hysterical. I managed some kind of middle course and got through the film and stayed calm. And then he also says, once telling her she was overreacting, she retorted, I act larger than life. That's what my audience paid me for all these years. If they wanted ordinary reality, they'd go out and talk to their grocer. But, like, I don't think, I mean, maybe he managed to pull her back, but, like, I don't think her performance is overacting or larger than life at all. Mm-hmm. I I thought it was really the best part of the movie. Yeah, I agree. If we talk did- about overacting, it's the fucking kid. <laughs> and the and the mom and the mom the, the mom was very much overacting like she's like very stereotypical hysterical woman in the 60s who just mm. like cannot function for she is always in a tizzy and she's hysterical um when really she's mourning the death of her daughter like let's be honest here well, and, i like, mean let's be honest that trauma <laughs> is quite trump trauma it, it's quite traumatic and the way it happened is also incredibly traumatic like there is a lot of trauma in here it's just uh, and like your eight year old son goes is sent away from being mentally disturbed because it's just like it's a lot of trauma to deal to like to bear. So yeah, yeah. Wait, who did did Bette Davis have a feud? Bette Davis she had did. A, was it with Joan she Crawford? Had, it was with Joan Crawford who okay. they they starred together in um, whatever happened to Baby Jane. I think yeah, yeah whatever happened to yeah, Baby yeah. Jane. Yep, and they they definitely had a feud there. <laughs> Bitches. <laughs> <laughs> Bitches. Amazing. I always wonder like who has who has feuds now? You know, like that time seemed to like I don't know. I mean, I maybe feel like, I feel like it's not feud anymore. It's beef, which is mm. like probably the same, but I feel like beef is less dramatic than a feud. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because, like, I feel like the problem with the internet is that anyone can be feuding with anybody. You know what I mean? Or they think they're feuding, but it's really just, like, brief beef they have. But, like, mm-hmm. I would think maybe Nicki Minaj and Cardi B have a feud. Hmm. Okay. We don't use that word anymore, but it's a good word. I kind it of love it. Word. It's so I dramatic. <laughs> it is. It's so dramatic. <laughs> but, yeah, I thought this one was was decent. I thought it was incredibly slow. But I'll tell you, I did love the third act i love the from the reveal to the end i was really i was really digging this film but it it did take a while to get there it did yeah it was yeah it was decent (laughs) put that on the poster (laughs) yeah it was was decent it was decent um so but what are we watching next week for hammer horror so a week from today we're going to go back to castle frankenstein i think the curse of frankenstein the Curse of Frankenstein? Well, no, I mean, we're going to go back to his castle. I and, and, can <laughs> understand. Just, I ruined, ruined the joke. joke. 
I ruined the joke. Like we're watching Curse of Frankenstein, y'all, from 1957. No, Terry, it's not the castle; it's the curse. Mary Beth, (laughs) bitch. Uh, which is going to also bring us back to our delicious um, daddy duo of Christopher Lee and and Peter Cushing. Are there shirts out there that say daddy duo with the two of them on it? Because if not, I want that to be our merch. I mean, I think it should be our merch. Daddy duo. Yep. Uh Uh-huh. Anyway. Yeah, I I think we should. Yep. Um, and then, uh, so Mary Beth, who are we talking to on Monday, though? So on Monday, it completes our trio of interviews with the Monstrous Femme co-founders. We are finishing up with the writer, director, producer, Hannah Mae Cumming, and we are talking about Coraline. Coraline. I love that movie. <sighs> Coraline. Um, wow. It was an amazing conversation. I forgot how phenomenal that movie is and the score and just like a creepy. creepy. So again, great conversation about a movie that I watched as a kid and was and loved going back to it now as an adult. So mm. yay. So, but listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. Did you watch a film that we watched and have thoughts? Have you ruined your life watching Aiden Lake? <laughs> Do you have <laughs> suggestions for movies that we can talk about? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.